Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Come on, give it up for the worship team one more time. That was incredible. Can I get my face ID. There we go. Well, like Gunnar said, my name is Christian. My wife and I serve here at The Dwelling. And so it's always an incredible honor and privilege to come in and be able to, to talk about to talk about the story of our favorite person, Jesus. And that's all we're going to do today. Um, we are in the series Glory. We've been in this series. We are on week. I'll be honest, I don't know what week we're on. Um, we're double digits for sure, for sure at this point. But we are, we are in this series, Glory, where we have been looking uh, through the, the book of Ephesians. We'll be going line by line and verse by verse and looking at this glorious life. So if this is your first time with us, I know we had Easter last week, so there's some new people in the building this morning. We're so happy to have you. There's some new people watching online. But really what Ephesians is, is about, like an overview of it, is Paul is fighting for the allegiance of these new believers' worldview. See, everything in, in the, the Ephesian church, Paul is writing, Paul the apostle is writing to Ephesians in the context of where they are at. Everything in this culture is tied to this imperialistic paganism. Everything is tied to this worship of their goddess of Diana. The, the, the currency and economy is, a, is tied to Diana. Duty and patriotism is tied to Diana. Um, religion is tied to Diana. Social status, social, it's all tied to Diana, and Paul is, is, is writing to make sure that this worldview hasn't become the Christian's worldview. He's saying, hey, you once had allegiance to all of this. You once were governed by all of this, but now, now you are different, so behave differently than you used to. And so this morning, we're finishing up chapter four of Ephesians. We left off before Easter in verse 16, picking up in 17 and going all the way to 32. So we got a lot of, lot of verses. That's a lot of content today. I'll be honest, it's just gonna be a content day. Come on, where are my influencers at? Y'all know this, all about the content. Um, but that's okay, we got a lot of ground to cover. No worries, turn to your neighbor, say, but he's a runner. Turn to your other neighbor, say, but he's a track star. <laughs> If you don't get us a Gen Z reference, don't worry about it. Okay, okay. The last few years of my life, I have a confession to make. Um, these last few years, I've been on a little bit of a journey, and this journey has led me to becoming a little bit of a coffee snob. I'll be honest. I'm confessing this morning. I, I, I always said I would never be that person, the person that walks in coffee shops and is like, let me get this just to see if they make it correctly, like that kind of thing. But if I'm being honest, I have become a little bit of a coffee snob because when I grew up, what I thought was a good cup of coffee is now very different than what I think a good cup of coffee is now. Like when I grew up, a good cup of coffee consisted of, you know, a coffee machine and it had one button. You press a button, you're done. I had never even conceived of the idea that there were multiple brewing methods for coffee. And, and so you, you, when I grew up, what we would do, how we would prepare what in my mind was a good cup of coffee, we would make coffee in this one button coffee machine. And we, before that, we would load it with this, we would grab this big tub of pre-ground beans. And these tubs would normally last a couple months, but you'd scoop it out, make your coffee with that, press the button. When it's done, you find the largest coffee mug you can. 
you pour you a cup of coffee, but that's not all it was. We, we weren't quite to a good cup of coffee yet. We had to pull down the powdered creamer from, from the pantry, two big scoops of that, a scoop of sugar, and then that was good coffee. For me, most of my life, this is what I considered to be good coffee. And so if you found yourself becoming a coffee snob or maybe even just introduced into the world of coffee a little bit, you know, like you're very aware there's a lot more to coffee than, than just powdered creamer, okay? It's a really big world and everything around coffee is very uh, particular, it's very precise. Uh, whenever you're, 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 you're brewing it from the beans you use to, to the, uh, the date they were roasted, how finely the beans were ground up. And that's gonna depend on your brewing method. Are you doing a pour over? Are you doing a pour over Chemex? Are you doing a pour over V60? Are you doing a French press? Are you making some sort of espresso drink? Are you doing drip coffee? And if you're doing drip coffee, are you doing a flat filter? Are you doing a cone filter? Because it all matters because your coffee to water ratio is gonna change. Your bean grind size is gonna change. So it's all very particular, okay? Now for me personally, for the last few years, I've been using a Chemex. It's a pour over method, I use a Chemex. And so what I do in the mornings, I boil my water in my kettle and I, I, I grind my beans fresh, my beans that I've purchased within the last 10 days. I grind them fresh. I do 40 grams of coffee every morning for me and Addison. And my personal water to coffee ratio is one to 16.5, which means for every one gram of coffee that I grind, I need 16.5 grams of water. That's just my personal preference. It's pretty close. Everybody's changes a little bit based on personal preference, but that's my personal coffee to water ratio. And we can really go on. I'm telling y'all, if you want to get into this, you can go further. You can research the beans you buy, what farm it comes from, what elevation the beans are roasted. I mean, there is a massive world. So the, the world of coffee literally only gets bigger the more you know. There are specific environments and specific instructions that allow us the best opportunity to get the most flavor naturally out of coffee. And so now if you look in your Bibles today for the, for the section of Scripture we're going to be reading, we're Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Uh, if you're using an English translation, then you know it's probably already broken up into books, chapters, and verses for you. But there's also, most Bibles will include this little heading for you over the, the section of verses. It's just to like give you a little overview. Hey, this is what these section of verses is going to be about. And if you looked at today's, it says something to the effect of instructions on Christian living. Now I can feel your eye rolls. I felt it all the way up here from the back to the front. Like, come on, man. We, we, we talking about rules today. We talking about instructions. You can't find nothing else in 66 books to talk about than instructions. Like, mm, I don't know. But I think maybe... Maybe, just humor me, I think that we're all living collectively in the year 2022. There's a context, there's a culture that we're in. We live in the United States of America. We live in the southeastern part of that country. And so sometimes I think when people talk about instructions or rules or commands or whatever you want to call it, we feel like maybe that imposes or intrudes on our life a little bit. And here's the idea today, right? When God gives us a constru uh, instructions, when God gives us commands, you know, that's what we call it. But maybe God is just giving us context. Church people, help me out. When God created everything and after he finished creating everything, he looked back over everything he just created. And he said, it is 
good. Well, if God said it's good, then it's good. And see, sin is this perversion of what God created. It takes what God made and it twists it a little bit. And anything good now has the opportunity to become ungood because it's been taken out of the environment. It's been taken out of the environment from which it thrives. It's been taken out of the garden. And so food, which was good, come on, where my foodies at? If you love to eat, it's a gift. Food, which was good, can now be gluttonous. Sex, which was this amazing thing that is given to show intimacy, it can now be lustful. Drink, which was good, can now be drunkenness. Work, which was this gift that God gave, and in it we were supposed to imitate who he was, like creating, uh, uh, taking all the things that has potential and creating something from it. But now it can become idolatry. And the list goes on and on. In this series of Ephesians, we have seen this painting of a full life in Jesus, this glorious life. And really the book, you can kind of break it down into two major themes. And we can kind of see the, the, the thesis of these themes in Ephesians 2.10. Most scholars will say that the, the thesis of Ephesians is, is chapter two, verse 10, which says, we were not saved by good works, but for good works. So now the first theme we've already kind of covered in our series, but I won't, and I, so I'm not really gonna dive into it, but I do think it's worth reiterating that you and I, we did nothing to inherit the status of chosen one, of son, of daughter, of elect, of priest, of righteous, of holy. It was the divine persuasion of the father that drew us in and made us love him, but it was all based on his love for us. So that's, that's like the first theme and we're not gonna talk about that today because our, our passage of scripture really falls under the second major theme, which is that we were created for something. We were created for good works, for a life lived in the parameters set forth by the one who created it. And this is a framework I really believe it will free us when we approach scripture, when we read scripture, and, and maybe even when we're thinking about the Christian life. Because if you approach scripture thinking about it as something else you must do instead of who you are, you will live a life burnt out, exhausted, and confused, trying to follow a God-man that declared that his burden was light, his yoke was easy, and that in him our souls would find rest, not more work. So take this with you. This is a takeaway for sure. Anytime you see a command in scripture, it is God detailing for us the environment of how we were actually designed, how that you and I as human beings perform optimally about the things our souls really long and crave. And so God is just clarifying for us. Hey, you wanna know how I designed you when I knitted you together in your mother's room? You wanna know what really satisfies your souls? Let me spell it out for you. And we will see that as it commands and instructions, but what if it's just God giving us context? So when we get to this section, instructions on Christian living, we can kind of just relax. We can lean in a little bit more because we recognize, oh, okay. This is just who I am. This is just the environment for which I was created. And so Here's the layout for today's scripture. Paul is gonna start and he's gonna give us a description. He's gonna give us a process and then he's gonna build to a context for our lives. And so he says this in, in verse 17. We're gonna start with the description. He's given us a description of a picture of a world outside of its original environment. And he says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord 
that you may no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. One version says, as the Gentiles do because they are hopelessly confused. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. And the key phrase in this section is separated from the life of God. Again, this is Paul's description of a world operating outside of its original environment, which is to say a life that is away from God. And his reminder is in those verses is, hey, to the Ephesians, this, this life is what you were saved from. This life is bad. You don't wanna go back into this description of a world. Why? Why? Because you and I, we were created in a context and that context included a garden with a God that walks with us. We were never meant to be separated from him. And I think the greatest despair of the human soul is that there is separation from the one whom our souls truly long to be with. And when we are separated, here's what Paul is letting us know in this word. He's like, it affects everything. In these passages, Paul is saying, when you live a life separated from God, it affects the whole thing. Listen to what he said. He said, our minds become confused, our understandings become darkened, our hearts become hard, and our bodies are given over to sensuality and to greed. And I'm not a big formula guy. Like I don't go to scripture and read and see everything as a formula for me to follow. But I do notice maybe here that Paul is giving us a framework. Turn to your neighbor and say, not a formula, bro. It's a framework. (laughs) Perfect. And the framework that uh, Paul is giving us is laid out in this path. And he illustrates it like this. Confusion, darkened understanding, hardened hearts, bodies given over to sensuality and greed. And so the first one is confusion. And confusion is always linked to the information you've taken in. So if the truth is that God created us for himself and that he loves us like his children, when people don't believe that, there's been misinformation along the way. Maybe they've experienced or maybe you've experienced pain and tragedy in your life. And so that has now informed your view of God. Maybe you've encountered one of these people who claim to know this God of love, but those very people have been cold and unloving. And so now that has informed your view of God. Whatever the information given, you have concluded that maybe God loves some people. He just doesn't love me. And so you're not against God you just don't think God is for you. And I personally, I think this is where most people find themselves. There's not a resistance towards God. There's just maybe an indifference towards him. And if we want to label this part of the path and framework Paul gives us, maybe we would just call this agnostic. This is just an indifference towards God. But then confusion about God leads to a darkened understanding of who he is or even that he is at all. One of my favorite sayings Um, is this. I've always loved it. It says, distance creates distortion. Proximity creates passion, which is to say the further you get from something, the more distance there is between you and a thing, the more distorted your view of that thing becomes. And so the further you go in believing God does not love you, the more distorted your view of him becomes. And if you keep going, then eventually you will end up in a place where it's not distorted. There's just not even a view at all. And maybe we would call this part of the framework atheism. So we've moved from an indifference towards God to an unbelief of God entirely. 
And then a darkened understanding leads to a hardened heart. It's really hard to have compassion. It's really hard to have kindness. It's really hard to feel anything for or feel anything from an external source. And people, in the, when we hear you, you get angry and people become compassionless and they get opinionated and then they move in towards this attack towards anything that disagrees with them. And so maybe now they've moved into this space where there's a hostility, there's a negativity when the subject of God comes up around them. And so we've moved from an indifference to an unbelief. And now there's a little bit of a resistance or a negativity that even arises when the subject of God comes up at all. And then finally, we arrive at the last part of this framework that Paul gives us. And he says, when people have become numb to external sources around them because of their hardened heart, eventually, eventually their bodies become focused on the thing closest to them, which is their bodies and their desires, because they can't feel anything outside of themselves because of their hard heart. So now the focus is my body, my desires, and they are consumed with gratifying their bodies, but then also just anything that indulges and crosses their mind. Their career consumes, every, everything is about what they want. Everything is about what they need. They live a life with no regard to anything else except what I need to do. And the Bible calls this greed, a life full of greed. And so we have this framework that Paul has given us and it says like, hey, this is the framework. This is the description of a life separated from me. Like be glad that you've been brought from that. You're not in that anymore. You're operating in a different space. But maybe he's also given us a framework of, of uh, how to see people as well. Maybe a framework of how to see and identify and acknowledge maybe where people are in their journey with God. And then maybe hopefully be moved with compassion towards that. And so can I say it this way too? Because, you know, I know y'all are all Christians. Y'all been in here a long time. Y'all been serving God a long time. None of this relates to you. So let me, let me bring it a little closer and say it like this too. Living a life that has replaced Jesus with the religion of Jesus will also end up in the same part at the end of the path that Paul gives us. It will end up in a life out of context for the way it was designed. Religion has misinformed plenty of people about who God is. People who have gone to church their whole life still trying to figure out that this is all about his love for us and not our love for him. And so they've built a life on the idea that if they work really hard and, and if they're really perfect, then they can continue to say they serve God. Then they can continue to say they love God and then God will love them too. Except when they mess up, when they mess up, they get really they get really angry. They get really upset. There's a sense of panic and fear and shame because their understanding of God has been made into a taskmaster or something to be earned or merited in order for God to love us or have a relationship with him. And so it, really, it leads to the same thing, a hardened heart. Did you know religious people can have hard hearts? <laughs> Jesus in Mark 5, he looks at the Pharisees and he, it says that he was grieved because of the hardness of their heart. Hard-hearted people become cold and opinionated. I don't know any opinionated Christians. I don't know about you guys. Not a one. They love, listen, hard-hearted religious people, they, it's hard. It's hard to identify this because they get 10-day Bible streaks on the YouVersion app. I ain't never got a 10, let me just go ahead and tell you, I'll confess, I've never hit a 10-day streak on the YouVersion Bible app, okay? But they love the YouVersion Bible app. They're in the Word all the time, but they're also 
and another app rhymes with Spacebook. They love, hard-hearted religious people tend to find spaces like a Facebook because they love to get their opinions out there. They love to share their opinions. They love to scroll and look for people to correct, both outside of the church and inside of the church. Y'all don't get quiet on me now. Come on now. They love to be right because their hearts have been hardened. And so if leaned into, guess where that leads you? To the life lived in the same way, a life full of greed, a life only consumed with your desire to be right, to be above, to be superior to other people. A life of greed, same spot. Only if I'm being honest, it can be a little scarier in the religious context because because our lives will be cloaked in false humility, self-righteousness, and good morals that might even distract us from our own condition and hard heart. You with me still? Okay, we need to hurry because we still got a lot of verses. That was just the first three verses. But I want to point this out. I can't run past this. Nobody would end up any further down the part of the path and framework Paul lays out for us if they knew and they believed that God loved them. If they believed it, they would never even get to a confusion state of mind. They would never get to a darkened understanding. They wouldn't move past that. And that is why the emphasis in scripture is always, always, always on his love for us. He's always bragging about his love for us. He's never bragging about our love for him. We're not really good at it. (laughs) That's why he describes himself as love when he when he reveals himself in scripture, he said, I am love because if you've experienced his overwhelming love and he has persuaded you that he loves you, not just people as in general, but he loves you, then it'll be really hard to live a life apart from knowing that love. So what if there was a church who made it their mission, made it their mission for people to know that God loved them personally, not just show God's love to them, although that's part of it, but that they knew that God loved them individually. And so we have this description of a life that's not intended for us. Now, Paul moves into uh, this next section, which he's given us a process, a process of walking in the new identity. It says this in verse 20, that however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were being taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says that, however, that is not the way of life you've learned. That's what he's saying to this church in Ephesians. And do you know what a learner is? What word we have for that? It's a disciple. That is what the word disciple means. It just means a learner. So Paul is saying, that is not the way you were discipled. That is not the way you were taught in him, in Jesus. And when you are in Jesus, when you are united with Jesus, you are being discipled by Jesus. So before Paul even gives us his three-point sermon on how to make sure we stay in the parameters of the life God created us for, he's saying, hey, you've been discipled by Jesus. Start there. Look to Jesus. And we have this incredible advantage in our faith in Jesus because we have an actual documented historical figure that we can point back to and say, oh, this is how God designed our lives. 
We don't have to just guess how God feels. We don't have to guess how he looks, how he thinks. He came to us and he showed us who he, who he was. So how do we stay in this life, uh, the parameters of the life that God has given us? First, 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 look to the life of Jesus. And the best methodology question that you can have when you are studying scripture is where do I see this in the life of Jesus? When you get to a passage of scripture and you're trying to deduce meaning, the first filter it should go through, one of the first filters, is where in the life of Jesus does it speak to this thing? That's the advantage we have. But then we also have this process that Paul has outlined for us. And he said, put off your old self, be made new. Some versions will say renewed. Put on the new, the new self. And there's so much, but we've got a good bit to cover. So I'm gonna give us as much of a detailed overview as we can move through. So part one of the process, put off your old self. Put away the, the life that Paul has just described for us. And this is the most practical of the three. Because a lot of putting off the old self is, is just doing the work of identification. What information am I taking in? What understanding am I taking in? What, where, 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 uh, where do I understand God based on, what I, based on the information I've taken in? And, and we have time for really just one word on how you filter through both information you take in about God and your understanding of God. And that word is Bible. Bible. The information we are taking in, the understanding of God, we conclude where or do these things align with what God has already said in his word? I don't think God loves me. Go to his word. If this is what we've identified as something we're basing our life on, then go to his word. I don't think God loves me. I could pick a lot of verses, but let's just look at one in Ephesians because we're in Ephesians, right? Chapter two, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. But because of his great love for us, I don't think God loves me. Throw it out. It didn't align. It didn't pass the filter. Put off the old self. What am I taking in? Where is my heart hard? Where do I need to have compassion? Who do I need to have compassion for? Where have I closed off myself from God? Assess and identify. That is part one of putting off the old self. Part two of the process, be made new. Take all you have just assessed and then bring it to him. Take all the information and bring it to him. This is the process of sanctification. God, here it is. I know that these thoughts, I know that these desires, I know that these understandings don't align with what you have said, but I don't know how to make myself believe them. I don't know how to make myself believe that you love me. I don't know how to make myself have compassion for people. I don't know how to make my desires change. I don't know how, I don't know how, but I know you can. So will you meet me here? I invite you into these parts of myself. Will you make my mind new? And will you make my heart new? Will you come in? And that's part two of the process. Part three, put on the new self. Put off the old self, be made new. Put on the new self. The work of identification, the process of sanctification, and then the promise of restoration. If you are in Jesus, you are both fully restored and you're also being restored. We, we talked about this around week five, maybe. I'm just throwing a number out there of this series. We talked about this idea of, of, of there's a finished work, but there's something that's already been finished. And so there's a both and 
to the kingdom. And so this is where Paul calls us up into our identity. He says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And that is who we are. He's saying, put that on because that's who you were created to be. You are holy. You are righteous. Put on who you already are. And we will always have the tension in this world of who we were and who we are between the broken identity and the restored identity, the new self and the old self, we will have, and, and we'll have to hide behind the, the work of the cross and, and Jesus's life for us until we get to eternity. But while we are here, Paul is saying, you still have access to that now. Don't wait. You are still those things now. You are righteous now. Put on the new self. And if you forget what that looks like, Look to the life of Jesus. Identify what doesn't align with him. Ask him and invite him in to change the things you can't and then be who you really are. And so then we get to the last part of our, of our scripture. So Paul's given us a description of a life not intended for us, a process of walking in our new life. And then Paul moves into this final section showing us the context that this life is to be lived in. And this is kind of what he's been building for. These last few verses is what Paul has been building for the entire time. So listen to scripture calling us into how we are really designed to live. I'm gonna read from the NLT. I know it says NIV back there, but I'm gonna read from the NLT. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to, the God, to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Don't lie. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't take from people. Don't be abusive when you talk to people. Don't have bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. Why? Why? Because your soul wasn't designed to do those things. Dishonesty was never part of the design. Dishonor of people was never part of the design. Yeah. And you will feel this deep internal stirring when, when these things that Paul has listed out are tried to, to be brought into our environment. C.S. Lewis calls it the moral law because something inside of us recognizes when we are trying to put in a, an environment inside of us that we weren't created for. Yeah. There's something that recognizes that in us. And this doesn't really, I mean, this has literally nothing to do with politics, but I run into so many people who are just like, man, you know what? I've taken a break from watching the news lately. Like I just couldn't anymore. It's just a lot. I've taken a break from social media. And honestly, I feel really good. Like I have yet to find the person that it was like, dude, I took a break from the news and social media. And in my time of being away from those things, the quality of my life has decreased so dramatically. <laughs> I haven't found that person yet. Could it be that our souls will recognize places and spaces that have a culture of lies, slander, harsh words, bitterness, 
And it actually makes us feel off. Something inside of us actually shifts when we are in those spaces and places. Maybe the anxiety I feel, the anger I feel, the divisiveness I feel that rise up in me are the results of cultures of these things being present in my life. My, uh, my iPhone works really good at the house. Like it does everything it was designed to do until, you know, Apple puts out another phone and all of a sudden mine stops working or starts having issues. Um, but we're not here to talk about conspiracy theories. So um, I can text on it. I can call on it. I can uh, surf the web. Like, bro, don't say surf the web. Nobody says that. It does everything it's supposed to do. But if I go scuba diving and I pull it out underwater, it, it doesn't quite work the same way. It starts glitching or maybe it, it doesn't even work at all. And then maybe while I'm underwater scuba diving, looking at the coral reefs, maybe I had a realization, oh, I'm not supposed to have my phone out over here. Let me head back up top. And I get up top. And depending on how long you were, the phone was in an environment it was not created for, there will be glitches. It might not work at all. It might take a lot of experts to fix, or you might need a new phone completely. And I think some of us have felt the weight of environments that we weren't created for. And we've recognized there's more. There's got to be more than this. There's something more. We were created for more. We, we know that something isn't quite right. And so in this, in this in this scripture, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. It's not a shame thing. Like, don't mess up and don't, don't, don't disappoint God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't shame or don't, don't grieve the, the, the Holy Spirit by the way you live because the Holy Spirit of God is grieved when we do things that push us away from how he designed us. It would be like us going to an exhibit and bringing, we're going to a Mona Lisa exhibit. We're bringing Da Vinci. We're ahead in the future now. He's, we can time travel. We bring Da Vinci all the way to the future into this museum exhibit where the Mona Lisa is, which is this perfection of work that we have like been just, uh, we've been looking at for the last few hundred years and just admiring how perfect this painting is. It would be like Da Vinci being present and then watching somebody take a spray paint can and just paint all over this masterpiece. He would be shocked. People around would be shocked. Like, what are you doing? Our souls are shocked when we are doing things that we weren't designed to do. It is shocking to us and there's a reaction to it and it grieves the spirit of God. So here's a description of the garden. The, the real environment that we were created for. Honesty, unity, good work, generosity, encouragement, kindness, tenderhearted, forgiveness. Worship team, y'all can come on back up. This is who we are. We, you are kind. You are generous. You are forgiving. You are encouraging. Paul says that you are those things because you follow Jesus. He even says, remember, he has identified you as his own and he has guaranteed your salvation. The things that have occupied the old life, they don't fit in this environment. 
They may have worked over in a broken environment, in a broken world, but they have no place in the kingdom of God, in God's environment for your life. They have no place in our lives. They aren't a part of God's context for us. That's it. These are what make you thrive. The things that we just listed out, these are what you designed to do. God's not trying to restrict your life. He's trying to expand it. He actually wants you to have everything he designed you for. See, I was, I was content with my coffee. I had been drinking it for years. It had satisfied me for years. I was content with what coffee I was taking in. And this was, to me, was a good cup of coffee. But as I discovered more, as, as I learned more about the context of how coffee actually needs to be uh, experienced, my world was expanded. My view became expansive. I didn't know there was more. And living from kindness and generosity and all the things that Paul lists, they make our worlds bigger. They actually expand our lives. They don't restrict it. They give vision for your life. Where are you going? What do you want from your life? You probably don't want the things that you've recognized internally aren't good for you. The things that bring anxiousness and anger and divisiveness and all the things we run from. What vision has God laid out for your life? It's this, it's this. Proverbs 11, it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. God's context for our lives makes our world larger and larger and larger. It is full of the things we were designed to do and sustain our soul. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit by living in a way that you weren't designed for. And if you wanna know where to start on living in the parameters of God's life for you, then look to the life of Jesus. Okay, community leaders, you guys come on up. We're gonna be done for today. We did it, we went through 17 verses. We worked hard today, guys. Give it up for yourselves. Community leaders, come on up. We're gonna have a time of just prayer and ministry if you need it. The worship team's gonna lead us. You know, prayer and this, this, it doesn't always have to be what the sermon was about. You can come get prayer for anything. So I just wanna encourage you in that. It doesn't have to necessarily be even what we talked about. If you need prayer, come get prayer. And if you are here like Gunnar was talking about earlier and maybe you've, you've recognized I don't think I believe God loves me. I think I've been living out of context with the way he designed me. Then this time is for that too. Don't pass this moment by. Don't leave without understanding his love for you because it changes everything. So let's stand, let's worship, come get prayer. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org. 